Hello, this is the KOW Philly Soccer Show. I'm KOW's Greg Orlandini with Mike Cervetio of the Philly Soccer Page. We get the preseason started this year with Matt DeGeorge from the Delaware County Times. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Yes, we are. This is the KOW Philly Soccer Show, back for another year. What kind of year is that going to be? I don't know. But that's why I brought in my guests and my co-host, Mike Cervetio from the Philly Hi. Soccer Page Hi. and Matt George, the master of Delco Sports. Much like the Philadelphia Union, the podcast's off-season acquisitions have been lackluster. <laughs> <laughs> you go with what you know. That's what I say. So let's talk about uh, our Similar beloved. Budgets. That's, that's the problem. Well, that's the, that's the other thing, yeah, for sure. <laughs> let's talk about our beloved Philadelphia Union um, so have, what else you want to talk about? So what else you want to talk about? No. Uh, well, there's and that's lot, our show, folks. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. So, Philadelphia Union, look, as we speak right now, a couple weeks before their training camp, a week before two the... Two weeks. Two weeks before Florida. Two weeks before Florida, one week before the MLS draft, they're about... That they don't have any picks in. That they don't have any picks in the first two rounds, even though it's in Philadelphia. I digress. Uh, and they look... Basically, like the same team they looked like at the end of October. I think they look worse in some ways. I mean, okay, I, I know I know that I was in the the minority of people that actually wanted to keep Roland Allberg, but you lost ten goals when he left, and you haven't replaced them yet. <laughs> that is true. I, <laughs> if there's a silver lining in all of this, and I I can't believe I have to be the positive one. Someone you know, has to. I guess somebody <laughs> never going to be me. <laughs> you know, I don't think anything has really fundamentally changed in their goals. For the offseason, they make some small moves. You bring in Corey Burke as a third striker, replacing essentially Charlie Davies with much more upside and probably a, a lower salary. Mm-hmm. You bring back Fabian Herbers and Elsino and Fabinho, probably in reserve roles. You still have the same needs. You still need a left back. You still need. I was going to say, how is Fabinho in a reserve role? There's, he's the only left back on the team. Well, he's well, he should be. <laughs> You're right. He should right. be in a reserve <laughs> yeah. role eventually. Uh, and, Guillermo Wijnaldum signing in. Uh, Willa, back, yeah, uh, Willem, uh, Willem the two. second. Yeah, yeah, I, the two, uh, yeah, I'm not going to pronounce it right. Okay. Um, but you know. It, the needs, I think, are still the same. I'm, I'm looking at a, a drawing of a starting 11 that I have, and you still have a big hole at left back. You still have a big hole at number 10, and you still need who's, a who's starting your, winner. Who's in your starting number 10? Is it Elsino? Uh No, there's a big empty circle <laughs> at the number okay. 10. There's I mean, also a big empty circle out on one of the wings opposite Fafa Pico. I think it's a problem right down the middle. I think uh, you say left back, which I agree. I th- you know, they've I've made this joke for years now. They still haven't replaced Jordan Harvey. Um, free agent and, signing, Jordan and it's it's less and less of a joke every year. But I mean, I think you just go right down the middle. Like I think you go back back to front. You know, I, I think they need another center back. They obviously they absolutely need a ten, and they need another scorer. They did. They right. didn't anything to address any of that yet. I mean, what a, so Corey Burke is the only guy that they brought in. What, yes. what are yeah, our, what, are, what are you guys thoughts? He's, on, he's on Corey the only Burke? new. New quote unquote guy that they what, what, brought what, in. What are, what are the thoughts on Corey Burke? He's he's Brian Brown with a lot more vetting. I think okay. he's more familiar with the um, with American soccer. He's more physical than Brian Brown was. And remember, Brian Brown came in and wasn't completely out of his depth. I mean, 
played. Yeah, um, scored on his first touch, you know, or, or first first opportunity. I think the big issue when you're the second or third forward on the Philadelphia Union is not necessarily what Corey Burke is going to bring, but what opportunity he's going to be given. Right. And, you know, we have a chance to, with Burke being better at this point in his career than Davies was last year, being able to see whether it's the lack of production from that spot that creates a lack of opportunities for that spot in Jim Curtin's kind of tactical understanding or if it's the other way around and that third striker, no matter who it's going to be, is not going to get a ton of opportunities. I like how you assume he's the third striker. <laughs> well, uh, the third earning striker. Okay, how there about you that? Go. that uh, if, yeah. if we're going to rate them... Because we still have... Our, if we're going to rate them reverse alphabetically and or by salary, <laughs> he is the third striker. Because we still have our friend Jay Simpson. Uh, yeah. By all accounts, a very nice guy. Big acquisition from last year. One goal. Yep. One handful goal. handful of games. More Dunkin' Donuts commercials. More Dunkin' Donuts. He was he was the guy that made sure to remind you to use your app for the Dunkin' Donuts. And you know. one goal, one bruised lung. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, yeah, you know, that's 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 a bummer. But uh so he's still on the roster occupying a large financial commitment. Is there gonna be a bigger role for him this year? I don't know. I'm all questions today. No, I I think we all are yeah. at this point. I don't know. Uh, um that could be a question if we, if and when we get Jim on or somebody you know, out, out of the staff. What I don't what, know if any of those guys are going to come out of hiding until the first week of the season. Probably I don't not. Know that they, I don't wanna, they don't want to face anybody. Um, I, I think the bigger question with regarding Jay Simpson or Corey Burke is how much is their role this season going to be going to be dependent on CJ Sapong regressing back to the mean. Is it going to be proactive and Jay Simpson and Corey Burke are going to get opportunities or any other attacking players they're going to bring in? Are they going to get opportunities or are they only going to get opportunities if CJ Sapong falters and doesn't and isn't a 16-goal scorer like he was last year? That's, I think, the bigger question. Can well, they use that rotation let's look at Let's look at 2016 where uh, CJ had a massive drop-off, was I don't think ever replaced in the lineup, played – Almost ninety minutes. Played every pretty game. steadily. Yeah, pretty, pretty steadily. Even though his production just completely fell off the table. So, and you know, it's the same coaching staff. So you got to think it's the same mentality. Uh, they weren't roughly as, the same coaching. R- staff. Roughly, it's the same coaching staff. <laughs> they weren't as deep of a team in twenty sixteen as compared to twenty seventeen. And twenty seventeen was, you know, CJ obviously had a different year. But just going back to that, I don't know. Uh, um, I mean, they're so wedded to this this four two three one. And CJ is the one at the top, almost no matter what's going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the short answer. I don't know. I, I, I think they have to give guys opportunities. I think you have to see what you have with some of these guys, especially a guy like Corey Burke, who's you know coming through your de- developmental plan. Right. Um, I mean, there is the possibility that you can kind of artificially create those opportunities if CJ Sapong is away with the national team right. in any larger capacity he did a great job in november Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely deserved the call up to the january camp and probably should play against bosnia and herzegovina in some capacity you know he's a young ish type forward who quite frankly if the u.s were going to a world cup would be in contention for that squad a la chris wandalowski Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know we can go through every cycle edson buttle guys like that Mm -hmm. so it's possible that if he's away for national team duty in you know they're not going to have a competitive game for a while. Perhaps that opens up some opportunities for for some other guys like Jay Simpson to kind of yeah. jump in there and and state their state their case. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense for sure. Um, 
So, so, so that's kind of the striker situation as we see it. Let's move down the field. They still ha- don't have a number ten on this roster. They toyed with your idea a little bit, Mike, a little bit at, at, at the end of the year, where they kind of inverted the triangle, putting uh, yeah, put, <laughs> put, putting Harris higher up the field, kind of. And and just having kind of more of the one holding midfielder, they they toyed with that a little bit. Um, is that what we're going to see going forward? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Without this, the a new signing that specifically is touted as an attacking central midfielder, I don't see what else you can do I mean, unless Adam Najem has made a huge leap in the or, off season, or if Anthony Fontana is wh- whoever Anthony Fontana is being. Uh, you know, touted to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think this really come before we went on air. We were discussing a little bit about the identity of this project that the union are currently undertaking, which, which goodness yeah, knows, yeah. can can fill its own podcast. <coughs> but you almost wonder if they're close to being just a play your kids club. You know, is that a possible identity that you think could but be selected? That. But they didn't do that at the end of the They didn't do that. But I mean, we look at this roster and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, if we were to break down position by position. But, uh, you know, I don't think that there's a young left back that's necessarily ready to take that job yet. I think Matt Real in a couple Mm -hmm. years could be in that conversation. But, you know, if you're looking at their center back contingency right now, Richie Marquez is the oldest guy there. You've got Austin Trusty, you've got Josh Yarrow. You don't have a proven number 10, but you do have young guys like Adam Najem. And um, Fontana. and Fontana, you've got Derek Jones, you've got Marcus Epps wide. Mm-hmm. Is that the direction of just maybe you don't invest that heavily in the side, and all of a sudden you're the you're the play the kids club where all these guys are going to get their opportunities? Is that then, I mean that that is an, an identity, but is that no the identity that the union could pick out? It's, it's an identity that they could pick out, but I have no faith that that is going to be it. They were the oldest team in the league last year. They could have. I mean, after late August, they weren't really in, in it by that point. Yeah. They could have started playing guys like Najem and a Fontana. They had to wait till January officially just, just to, to, sign. Yeah. to sign. But you know, they could have played. I mean, but they didn't even... Epps got a run out, but he could have gotten more time. I, I mean, think Derek Jones disappeared for four months. Yeah, Derek, right, Derek, I mean, he started a variety. Well of in the yeah, I mean, yeah. No, he, you know, he had national team duty. Then when he got back, he was with the steel mostly and all those. Had all a that concussion stuff. mixed in there. Yeah. Yeah. Had, you know, there's an injury issue. So do you become the play to kids team? Yes, I'm fine with that, but you kind of have to own it. And I, and the, the, like, like Mike said, I haven't seen the evidence of them doing that yet. I mean, they were like, I mean, and, and it's not even the evidence of them doing it; it's the straight up refusal to do it when asked about it. I mean, right. it, 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 I mean, you've been there for all of those press conferences with Jim mm-hmm. when he, all he does is tout, like, well, you know, I'm going to play the guys that show up for practice and the guys that are going to be the best yeah, on the field. And, and there's no need which for that's a stupid philosophy when was, you're not going anywhere. And there was no the need season. for there was no need for Harris Medujanine to play. You know, thirty-three games or whatever yeah. it was, especially down the stretch last year. I think you have to look at it in this kind of calculus of whether this is the future for them. Also, you have to remember that you have a coach in Jim Curtin who is, if not on his the last of his nine lives, pretty close. He doesn't have a lot of you know incentive to necessarily play the kids because he has to win. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, but, the case for him not to have a job but, anymore is pretty high. It, but it's circular. Um, because it goes back to the end, end of the year, 
press conference where Ernie threw his whole, full support behind Jim with, with, with no, pretty unconditionally naming statistics that the team has achieved and all of that. And it was a very, you know, robust, uh, I, I, I think, defense of Jim Curtin. You can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes. I, I know, I know, but but that so fine. You do that, and you kind of admit. Well, you didn't always give Jim the tools. I mean, Jim had said that. I mean, he made you know bringing a knife to a gunfight. That 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 quote he's thrown out, or some variation of that. Okay, fine. You do all that, but you don't give him the tools then. And then it goes back to okay. Then well, they're to play the kids team. Well, if they're to play the kids team, then you, then Jim gets more rope. If they're to play the kids team, so I, I don't know. It just goes round and round and round. So I don't know where it is. And we're talking. I mean, that's the basic theme where we're talking about it. What is the What is the Philadelphia Union? What is their identity right now? Can I Can I use my quote here? Do Because I, I looked it. it up before before we started. So this is Ernie Stewart in four four two magazine from when was when was this uh, November? Was, yeah, late late winter November. Um, yeah. Ernie the first, Stewart. The first month of the postseason. Mm-hmm. You know, we are who we are, so we're not going to be that club that goes out and spends all kind of money, so we have to do it in a different way. And from 2015 to where we are now, I would say there's been an improvement. It doesn't necessarily always say it in the standings, but we're pretty close to reaching the playoffs. Um, we reached the same amount of points as we did in 2016, and arguably you could say that the East has gotten stronger over 2016. When you look at it that way, you can look at it in a positive sense, which is... Just putting on positive blinders, I assume. But going back to the, the quote, we have to do it in a different way. What is the way? I the, think a lot of people, when Ernie came in, assumed gag, hack, moneyball. Right. And they assumed, oh, well, he's got the inside track on these European guys. And initially it looked that way. We, we get, you know, we, we get rolling. We, you know, the team gets, you know, Wynolan, who, oh, he's got a great upside and potential. And he's already gone. Roland turned into what Roland turned into, that whole situation. Which was a productive but mercurial player. Exactly. Right. And you you would think maybe another team would have handled him differently. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he's, he's, he is who he is. And his you know, attitude coming into the in, into the season wasn't the best. His, you know, his physicality wasn't the best. But 10 goals are 10 goals. And tell me who else is going to get you 10 goals on this team right now. Right. Um, and 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 – to Mike's point, I, I talked to Jay Sugarman in in uh, November, mm-hmm. and he outlined basically a three-point plan of this is what the club is about. And the first one was being committed to player development, which means investing in the facilities, investing in the academy, all those things. The second one is team chemistry, uh, which – and this is a quote from from Jay. The collective talent of the team isn't just the sum of its individual talent. And the third one – the third prong involves – uh, "Quote unquote unconventional approaches," ex- which is, uh, to my understanding, exploiting certain dimensions of the game, like mm-hmm. you know, being good on set pieces or uh, maximizing possessions or you know, final third entries or something like right. that. Finding that statistical edge, right? So, that's, which is all fine, right? So that's <laughs> one that that sounds like one concrete thing and two, kind of just mm-hmm. ephemeral notions, yeah. philosophical concepts. Like literally, yeah. who cares about the? The, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, I'm glad that the Academy stuff is good. I am. But I don't care. How does it, How is it helping the Philadelphia Union? First-team experience. Right. Today. And a short answer, today it's not. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is it a perpetual five-year plan? It feels like that sometimes. 
Yeah. So um, should, should we just all hold tight until 2025? And, you know, the whole different, and again, I'll go back to the different way of doing things, the money ball idea. The one thing, and we, I brought it up to, uh, um, when we had, uh, when we had Ernie on that wonderful interview, um, where I said, you know, the teams have been very European facing when looking for foreign players, hasn't been very South American facing. He kind of shot me down, but, you know, what, what's the evidence say? Young South American players are coming into this league. Other teams are signing him. Atlanta, specifically, you could point to her signing, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old. I don't even think we should. We shouldn't even bring up Atlanta even, when we talk well, about the even, Union because they're just in a different league at this point. Not, yeah. But I not mean, even but, Atlanta. I, Portland's done right. it and NYCFC's right. done right. it yeah. tremendously. Young, and, you know, we, we rag on the Novak Hackworth years, but that's something they actually did was look at, got, got in some South American talent and at least looked in that direction and, and at least attempted to go. And, and like, Gil, like Gilberto Silva. Well, <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that's Matt George's favorite Philadelphia my player favorite, of all time. Favorite Not everything was a home run, but at least they looked in that direction. And you get the feeling that that's not the direction they're looking. And it's such a fertile ground. It's such a... Well, we don't even know if that's not the direction we're looking at yeah. because there's literally been no information about any player that the Philadelphia Union is interested in. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think the bigger issue is that I don't think there is a concrete direction that they're necessarily looking in that you could point to short of, you know, connecting the three degrees of separation between Chris Albright and uh, Ernie Stewart's agency contacts. Like that's the that's mm-hmm. the direction that they're looking in right now. Um, I think so much of it, though, like like you say, Mike, is that there's no there's no overriding identity. The things that Ernie says, the things that Jay will say. They sound good and they probably look good on printed, you know, marketing materials and stuff like that. Do but, they though? But but what are well, yeah, they do. But what I mean, what what are they in the real world? Yeah. What what you know? What are they in the real world? Are they? And the question is, is that what are they, especially within the real life limitations that the club has financially, whether self imposed or just in actual terms? I mean, this is a club that has plenty of opportunity mm-hmm. right now. We have to put that on the table. There are two open designated player spots. Uh, they have an infusion of allocation money from the league. They have the opportunity to go out and get players. They have players within MLS that have trade value for creative mm-hmm. solutions, I believe. Guys like Ray Gaddis, Warren Craval, even Keegan Rosenberry, you know, right. Josh. They, they have guys within MLS that have trade value. They have... Well, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like something the union is ever interested in exploring, though. There, there's so little interest in doing business inside MLS. Well, and I can understand that even more now with Ernie Stewart coming from a non-MLS environment and wanting to be more focused on acquisitions rather than trades. I can completely understand that. But at the same time, at some point, you have to go out and do those things and, and actually, you know— create that vision like i know that we want to say the moneyball philosophy but moneyball mm-hmm. is not giving four hundred fifty thousand dollars to jay simpson no that's that's not moneyball moneyball if we're going to apply that term now is getting young players that are going to then have some sell-on value yeah. and the only example i think that we've ever seen of that is eric ayuk mm-hmm. maybe i mean it's, i think he's back on the team who, back on the who team, is yeah. probably going to have sell-on value at some point All right um but 
there's just not there's just not a ton there. And I think part of it's because they just don't have the resources up front to say, all right, we're going to go sink $3 million into a 20-year-old kid from Chile like you know, LAFC is rumored to be doing mm-hmm. right now. And then in two years, we're going to reap a benefit when we sell them for $5 million. You know, There's just not the ability to do that. And there's also not the patience to do that because you don't have a history of winning. How much does that play into things, you think? Do you think you're meeting with a player wherever in, in Europe? You're meeting with a 21-year-old center midfielder. And you know he probably doesn't know a lot about MLS or Philadelphia Union. He looks at what Philadelphia Union has been. He goes to the Philadelphia Union website. He goes to the Philadelphia Union Facebook page and sees just fans unrelentlessly <laughs> bashing the team. And it's, who's going to go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the situation I've been looking for. Well, I I don't know that that's the most I don't know that that's the biggest thing impacting them. I mean, I think in a lot of corners of the world, if there's a reasonable assurance that the check clears on time, oh, that's, yeah. that's you know that's that's a big thing. Nice. That, that kind of goes back to my Central and South America, right? But even then, even then, philosophy of getting see, I, players from them there. I, I thought there was an opportunity when El Sino came over, and you know whatever you want to say about El Sino, when you look at his travels, they've gotten him at way mm-hmm. under market value of what he would be expected to be earning in a club, say, you know, if he was playing in the championship or if he was yeah. playing in Spain or Portugal or something like that. But there are those opportunities that I think they haven't necessarily jumped on. If you're looking at, um, you know, if you're looking at being a Moneyball club, yeah. you're going to look at guys who are in expiring contracts. You're going to look at guys, you know, Ukraine was an example, Turkey was maybe an example a couple years ago when they yeah. went through some of their governmental issues where maybe you could go in there and get guys on cheap. That's not what they've done. Or, or, you, or you look at a guy who's good but turn, but because of a coaching change turns into the third guy in a two-man midfield who all of a sudden is out of favor because a guy comes over there. You look for those guys in Portugal, Spain, Germany, Netherlands. You know. or, or you just look at guys who are in certain countries in South America who are – you know, going to be worth in three years much more than they are now when you can yeah. get them at a bar. You know, these are this is the kind of expertise that I think a, a soccer club has to be able to show, and I don't I don't see a ton of that. Well, talking talking about Ernie Stewart's history too, when he was at uh, Alkmaar, I mean, his reputation was a guy that was good at picking young players, getting the best out of them, and then selling them off, using the profits from that to bring in other players. Something similar to that. Yeah. I mean, that's not even the philosophy of MLS to, to do that. What what who in MLS is doing a good job selling players and mm. developing players and, and making money? The, the league well, on a whole doesn't do a good job of Well, it. I think that's also because the league doesn't incentivize that the way that um the way that transfer fees are kind of divvied up and the way that uh, for instance you know the the limitations on how much of a transfer fee you can have that actually goes into allocation money doesn't incentivize that. We saw that with the Dom Dwyer trade, where um, Kansas City, with a guy on an expiring contract, could send Dom Dwyer and get more in return in allocation money from Orlando City than it could by allowing him to be sold to a foreign club. Yeah. So that's a league wide thing. The same thing with with young players. Um, there was a a young player the other day, and I forget who it was. Uh, I think it was um, uh, Locatero. The Houston player, 
uh, who was a homegrown who went to a club in Mexico and there's no fee or whatever the fee was is, is limited. So I think that's more a, a league-wide problem. Right. But at the same time, Atlanta's bucking that trend by bringing in guys that are going to have value down the road overseas in a club, you know. I could see whatever club gets promoted to the to the Premier League next year going and giving $10 million for Joseph Martinez to bring him in. I mean, that's a distinct possibility. Um, it, it's it's partially the structures of the league. and, and so, I mean, these have been the structures of the league for a while. So then explain the Ernie Stewart hiring in Philadelphia. <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. The other thing with you brought Ernie, in a guy whose I mean, reputation is that and, the, and then never given an opportunity to exercise what he's been good at. Well, the other thing that's, I think, confusing is that when he was at when he was at Alkmaar, he was also given $12 million and said, okay, go out and buy 10 players. I don't think he's yeah, – You don't think he's gotten kind. that from Jay Sugarman? No, I don't think <laughs> – I think that the structures are different where he's probably being told here's you know, a couple million dollars, go out and buy five players. And they're not going to be the team that you build around. Right. Um, so I, I think that – I think there's some mismatches in there. One interesting thing that came out of the Sugarman – interview that I had was that you know he said that he's pledged money to Ernie Stewart before and Ernie Stewart hasn't really been ready for it quite yet or the team hasn't been ready for that kind of spending. I, I, rolling I, my eyes again. I, which, don't, I, I don't know what that means. I, I don't either. It kind of introduces more <laughs> confusion into right. this whole picture. Do, and, do you mean – I mean did they just not have the plan and all of a sudden, oh, here's cash, but we don't – Well, I mean this goes Do, do you to, get the cash and then you make the plan? I don't, I don't know. I think Ernie Stewart's pragmatic enough to know that when they – spend money mm-hmm. it has to be on the right guys and it, and well, i think this dovetails back into what we're talking about for this offseason is that yes union fans are going to be restless that there hasn't been anybody coming in but at the same time if the union's going to spend money and they're going to bring some people in it has to be the right people otherwise they're going to be in trouble i mean they are not they are not equipped to deal with guys that don't produce according to their According to their dollar figures, CMO would do for the last I think they're perfectly years. equipped for that. <laughs> well, that's really what they've been perfecting for um, an entire well, to, length of an organization. To, you're, you're right. They're not. They're not designed to succeed with. Right. Well, the problem is that they're not designed to succeed with the group that they have either. What? So the problem I think that we're hitting on is that they might not even be designed. <laughs> right. That's I yeah, think uh, what we're uh, trying to drill I, down to. I, I think mean, that's. I think you might have. <laughs> right, well, to go bit. back to your quote too, from you know Sugarman saying that. Uh, Stewart's not ready for the money, and you also have the quote from from Stewart last year saying, "You know, Jay Sugarman's never told me no when I've gone and asked for money." Mm-hmm. You know, and my my question at that point is like, why are you not there every week asking for money and then going to sign right. better players? Like, I'm just like, yeah. where where keep is this loss? Keep going until he says no. Yeah, <laughs> just keep trying. Yeah. Uh, keep going. Well, I think it, and I think at portions of last year and certainly the year before, there wasn't the consensus that they needed better players because you had a similar roster in 2016 that made the playoffs right. by backing into it. And then in 2017, you had that same that same roster not start well, and that's when you get Jay Sugarman talking about things like team chemistry. We want to be the closest team in the league. We want to be mm-hmm. the team that plays with pride. We, we want to be the team that exploits wanna, yeah, exploit. unconventional things, which are all very ephemeral things, ephemeral things that I don't know how you purchase. Let's yeah. talk about something uh, that might light a fire under Jay, uh, under Jay Sugarman. And that's kind of what's going on in the stands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think last year might have been the worst attendant year of of, of the. I, uh, I don't know if numerically it was, 
it probably was, but I I mean as I think people that are at every game, it it was. Yeah, I think their marketing department has made some good strides on season tickets and stuff like yeah. that, but that's not necessarily translating into excitement. Uh, there's another difficult to quantify right. measure that's surrounding this team. I don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, translating into into a lot of I, in, in I mean, stadium atmosphere. No, I, I mean, and if you want to gauge the temperature of the fans, I mean. Just go read anything online. You know, if you want to go to the Philly soccer page and read the comments, go go to the Philadelphia Union's Facebook page. Or go to Twitter, the Philadelphia Union's Twitter. And any, just go to literally any tweet that the Philadelphia <laughs> yeah. Union's very well-meaning social media team puts yeah. out. Uh, I mean, I feel bad for those guys. I really you, do. I mean, they're 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 required to do this. Well, this I, is this is part of the social I'll, media I'll, job I'll, in I'll, professional sports. Always like what the Phillies have in their bio for the for their official Twitter account. We're their Twitter account. We're not the GM. We're yeah. not the manager. Where the Twitter account, and I feel like that with the union guys, because they just, you know, they just get it from all sides, and you feel bad, and they have a job to do, and the marketing and the social media, and a lot of people beat them up on the uh, whole tattoo thing, which I, I, you know, some of it came off tone deaf, but it's yeah, a it's thing. That, it, 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 but they're trying. It, it's that the marketing team has a job to do, yeah, and they have to, you know, drum up interest in people looking at the team. The fact that they made a the big deal they made out of the uh, they were winning no oh it's it's hilarious it's cool yeah tattoo whatever you're losing it amplifies that it, also, it, also announced it on deadline day that was that very was summer not absolutely a, brutal of a good of a, idea of a transfer window where you did nothing that was very much a not a good idea I, but they got to get butts in the seats they got to figure out I think the easiest way to get butts in the seats is. Rack up W's, yeah. get players Always. that people want to see. That ultimately what gets fans. You could do all kinds of marketing things, and they're nice. And right. it's nice to have a game day experience to go down there and do the car thing for charity. That was what it, it was. was. That's the, those things are nice, but ultimately what gets people in, 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 into, into your park is if you're racking up wins. and if, Or if you're not racking up the wins, at least you have guys that you can get, get behind and you're, you're building – you get the look you're building towards something. I mean, I, and I think that's that's some of the frustration that comes out when when we talk about this is like you know we've all been covering this team for most of their existence, much, if yeah. not the whole existence. Just about the inception. Yeah. We've been in the stadium when the stadium is rocking. When you know, I can think of a number of games where the atmosphere is just tremendous, uh, and the atmosphere in that stadium can be tremendous, the, and you want that all of the time. Toronto game where Collaborson scored that, that free kick. Sure. I, I put that up against any stadium in the world for yeah. volume, for energy. When that goal went in, that stadium lifted three, four feet. I yeah. put that that game, I mean, I even go back that to experience, like, I put that up against anything. Yeah, regular season game two seasons ago against Red Bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Rocking. Yeah. Great. U.S. Open Cup finals, even though those games weren't sold out. Stadium, right. great atmosphere. Union fans are smart fans, and when they get butts in the seats, that's as good a place in the league as you can see a game. Yeah, and that's the thing. They they know what they're looking at right now, and they know. Yeah. It, it, they know it, it feels like it's not enough to them. Yeah, and because it, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, and I think the bigger issue is that they're trending not towards anger, but they're it's trending towards apathy, which is yeah. worse. Anger, at least, you know. At, at I, least I, when you're at least when you're dragging a coffin that has Nick Sakevich's <laughs> name into the stadium, which I do not condone. At least that is means you care attention. Means you care. Seeking, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, anger, it involves effort. Anger is why sports radio exists. Sports talk radio exists. Anger that fuels that. When when you're apathy, when you don't care, 
That's worth that. I'll, that's dangerous. I'll take angry fans over fans that meh, any day because angry fans care. That said, you know, if we look at what the union schedule is this year, and I know we don't have even the slightest idea of what the finished product of the Philadelphia Union are going to look like, they have the opportunity to generate that from the beginning. They do. At least they, they start have. at home, they, yeah. and they're not starting. They got two games, two two straight games at home. Four out of the they first must have, five. They must have finally got the money together to bribe the, the <laughs> scheduling officials too. So we're Seriously, not, yeah, not we're not going somewhere on. in the West that Coast. Is, that or, is an unconventional detail <laughs> that they want to be good at. Bribery, yes, yes. bribery. Let's put that down. Jay Sherman bribing. That's people. where the money's going. That, that's, that's a joke. That's a joke. That was a joke. Jay Sherman is not bribing people. Nobody is bribing anybody. Yeah. I don't know whose lawyers are listening. Yeah, but no, like, Atlanta would have bribed them better anyway. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Anyway. Uh, but no, seriously, I agree with you. You, you look at the, the opening couple of weeks, you, you look at the first two months of the season, and you see an opportunity to pick up points. You see yeah. an opportunity to put yourself on the front foot and not and, – and, you know, I think that's a really important thing after last year where they started so poorly. Terribly. Right, where they were – And never average, recovered from it. Where they were an average team and – they're you know playing from a position of power as you saw in 2016. They were pretty much the same team in 2016 and 2017. The only difference was is that in 2016 they were playing from a position of power and playing from ahead. In 2017 they were constantly playing catch up, right. and that's a big difference. And I I look at this schedule and you know New England at Colorado, San Jose, Orlando at home. God only knows what Columbus is going to look like by oh, the time God, they come my, into that's, town. That's, uh, that's going that's to dead be man messy. Walking. Um, you have the opportunity, I would almost say, if you don't have 10 points out of those first five games, that could be trouble. But that's yeah. a little getting ahead of ourselves. You need to have enough players for a, for a 10 aside game before you can talk <laughs> about wins. All right. So uh, as we uh, begin to wrap up, uh, should we mention the even bigger disaster at U.S. soccer is real quick? <laughs> Um, Are we going to have to bring Bethlehem Steel in at the end of this as like the happy finishing okay, note? Yeah, Bethlehem Steel, as, as you said, they're reliving the 2016 and 2017 draft, kind of bringing in all these kind of young, youngish players. How many, youngish? I'm, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I mean this, they're this, not this terribly is old. 23, 24, and 22. But they're guys that could have the opportunity to play. They're, they're AAA MLS players. They could have the opportunity <laughs> right. to play their way in eventually. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're rebuilding their farm team. You know, Brandon Aubrey is a first-round pick from last year. Uh, you know, when you have a guy like Jack Elliott become what Jack Elliott has become, all of a sudden the twenty-first pick in the in the MLS draft, maybe you give him an opportunity a little yeah. bit. Um, and he's essentially your first-round pick since you don't have one this year or second-round pick, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Omar Holness, I think, is a pretty good signing. He's played eighteen games with RSL. Yeah, RSL. He's fully capped by Jamaica. Jamaica. Brandon Allen, a little injury-prone though. Yeah. But you know, you give when him is he even going to play this year? Well, you give him an opportunity. There's eight guys. There eight. There's eight guys at US at Bethlehem Steel. He'll find a way into the right. team. <laughs> I mean, towards ACL in July. It's not like he's coming back from right. an wow. yeah, injury be, either. He'll be in there eventually. And and you've got the wrong Allen brother, Brandon Allen. Well, um, that, that's a Philadelphia tradition. I always get the wrong that is brother. True. That is you know get the wrong lighter brother. Brother, you know wrong always, Maddox. Wrong Maddox. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's quite going to fit into that <laughs> that pantheon. Right, but. right, right. You always but you always get the wrong brother in Philadelphia. Brandon, not 24 years old, most of his uh, experience with Red Bulls 2, um, mm-hmm. went on loan to Minnesota United, who's the worst, one of the worst teams in the league last year and got one appearance. Is the MLS ready eh. sometime soon? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe if you for get... I'm just trying to rain on all the parades. I mean, maybe if you so get to a point where you're looking for a backup right back, right, right midfielder, and there's no better options, he's there. I don't yeah. know. All right. Like I said, before we wrap up, U.S. soccer real quick, losing out on uh, Jonathan Gonzalez. 
Is this a huge loss? I mean, I don't, I don't know too I much don't about know. Jonathan Pe- Gonzalez. People, it's bad. I think people are just upset because of the, the shape U.S. soccer is in with the World uh, Cup qualifying miss. And, uh, you, you, you read some things where just, people talk seemed, about him that he is right behind Pulisic as, your, uh, as a prospect. Yeah, he's getting, he's getting some looks from some very high European if you, teams. If this was – you know, Mexico wouldn't have pushed this hard. You know, uh, Mexico – I mean, They pushed hard. They I mean, really, if you read it, everything but, I've re- read, if you read – like they – you know, the national team coach was like at you know on him all the time. His coach at Monterey was on him all the time. After after a certain point where it looked at you know, well, you know, the, the mushroom clouds are over US soccer as they are right now. Once that, that happened, Mexico just threw in and we're gonna get him. And, and I don't blame the kid. You know, honestly. I don't blame the kid. Because everything you're reading, everything you're seeing, he US soccer just dropped the ball here. They dropped the ball on a lot of levels. There was a really good quote that uh, I think it was Todd Ramos today came out and said that, you know, if you're dual international and you feel as though you're Mexican and you want to play for Mexico, then play for Mexico. If you're a dual international and mm-hmm. you feel that you're American and you want to fight for for the U.S., then join the U.S. Like, uh, and her, that's what her, it is. It comes her, down to It comes down to a player yeah. and it comes down to – you know what they want, and yeah. there was a lot on Twitter um, the other day when Gonzalez made the switch. Of you know, it was the end of the world when Giuseppe Rossi picked Italy. Mm, it was the right. end of the world when Nevin Subotic picked uh, Serbia. Yeah. Picked Serbia. There's been the end of the world before, <laughs> right? There, there so, has been, but I don't think in those cases, I don't think there's been this level of disarray in your soccer though either. So I think I think, it's, I think juxtaposed yeah. with that, it's, well, it's I, bad. I, I, yeah, I think that this is piling on. Right. It is. It's another straw and, on the and, camel's back for a, and, and, for and a the, federation and, with no pre, no president after February and no, head and no coach. coach. It's and, a lot. and the guy who discovered, quote unquote, uh, Hugo Perez, uh, is gone. So, uh, so there's that. Um, so that's the situation with you know, soccer. You know, we won't know too much until the election. There won't be a new coach till after that. So, um, so there. This is, the election is I don't I like I'm trying to get my head around the election. Is there is there someone we're rooting for? Um, I have no idea. Uh there's so many things going on there. Um I know Jonathan Tanwald's done some really great reporting on yeah. it, but there's so many different factors in play. I mean it, it, it's very much it, There's it, a certain populism to Eric Ronaldo's yeah. uh, campaign and you know I think Kyle Martino has some and, great ideas. Yeah and the the, the and her name escapes me unfortunately. Kathy Carr, uh, she's she's, she's kind of the the, uh, the establishment yeah. candidate you know where Sunil Galati's kind of thrown her his support behind her so there's that. And I think I think Garber and MLS and and some are very close with them. Right. Uh, you know I just find myself so wishing whole, that Julie Foudy had run cuz I think she's in Eminently qualified candidate yeah. in a variety oh, of different fun. ways, but be, it good. wasn't the right time for her. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometime down the road. All right. So I think we'll wrap it up on that for our first podcast of the year, and uh, we're sorry. And we're, uh, the, we're heading to the bar. <laughs> there All will right. be signings before the next one. Well, one could hope, just maybe uh, not by the union. So, <laughs> so check us out next week. We're going to get our uh, draft preview. Not much of a preview for the union, but it's always good to talk about local guys are in the mix and things like that. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, you know, Mike's Mike's not just I'm feeling psyched. it at all. <laughs> I want to thank thank Matt DeGeorge for coming up. Freshly shaven. Freshly shaven. The, the, we hardly recognize them. <laughs> freshly shaven Matt DeGeorge coming up uh, for uh, for this podcast. And we will catch everybody next week.